Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and visit the website. It is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the former chairman of the Cato Institute for 14 years and now senior fellow emeritus in constitutional studies. We'll be talking about... uh, uh, Supreme Court decisions leading to the great expansion of the federal government since the New Deal. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. It is October the 26th, and on this day in 1881, the Earp brothers face off against the Clayton McMurray gang in a legendary shootout at O.K. Corral in Tombstone, Arizona. After silver was discovered nearby in 1877, Tombstone quickly grew into one of the richest mining towns in the Southwest. Wyatt Earp, a former Kansas police officer working as a bank security guard, and his brothers Morgan and Virgil, the town marshal, represented law and order in Tombstone, though they had reputations as being power-hungry and ruthless. The Clintons and the McLaurys were cowboys who lived on a ranch outside of town and sidelined as cattle rustlers, thieves, and murderers. In October 1881, the struggle between the two groups of control of Tombstone and uh, Cochise County ended in a blaze of gunfire at O.K. Corral. On the morning of October the 25th, Ike Clayton and Tom McLaurie came into Tombstone for supplies. Tombstone for supplies. Over the next 24 hours, the two men had several violent run-ins with the Earps and their friend Doc Holliday. After 1.30 p.m. on October the 26th, Ike's brother Billy rode into town to join them, along with Frank McClory and Billy uh, Claiborne. The first person they met in the local saloon was Holiday, who was delighted to inform them that their brothers had been pistol-whipped uh, by the Earps. Frank and Billy immediately left the saloon, vowing revenge. Around 3 p.m., the Earps and Holiday uh, spotted the five members of the Clanton McClory gang in a a vacant lot behind the O.K. Corral at the end of Fremont Street. The famous gunfight that ensued lasted all of 32 seconds, and around 30 shots were fired. Though it's still debated who fired the first shot, most reports said the shootout began when Virgil Earp pulled out his revolver and shot Billy Clanton point-blank in the chest, while Doc Holliday fired a shotgun blast at Tom McClory's chest, though Wyatt Earp and uh, wounded uh, Frank McClory with a shot in the stomach, Frank managed to get off a few shots before collapsing, as did Billy Clanton. When the dust cleared, Billy Clanton and McClory, uh, the brothers, were dead, and Virgil and Moral Earp and Doc Holliday were wounded. I Clanton and uh, Claiborne had run for the hills. Both Sheriff Behang of Cochise, Cochise County, who witnessed the shootout, charged the Earps and Holiday with murder. A month later, however, a tombstone judge found the men not guilty, ruling they were ju- fully justified in committing these homicides. The famous shootout has now been immortalized in many, many movies, of course, and it's become part of a cowboy lore for sure. How all this happened just uh, 140-some years ago, unbelievable. Well, media figures and conservatives reacted to Democrat John Fetterman's debate performance against a Republican Melmet Oz. 
during the uh, debate on Tuesday night, calling it just a sad disaster. Fetterman had poor showing during the debate, mostly due to his speech disability stemming from a stroke earlier in the year. He opened the night with, hi, good night, everybody. <laughs> he was, I'm sure he rehearsed that before he got on stage. That's so sad. I really shouldn't laugh. Fetterman struggled to give coherent responses to moderator questions as he confused words and paused awkwardly. Reporter Charlotte After, Alter, I should say, of Time called the debate a disaster, while MSNBC's Joe Scarborough called it painful. Conservatives and other media figures said that Fetterman should not have been agreed to a debate and blasted the Democrat Party for trying to hide the candidate's medical issues from public eye. Not all were critical of Fetterman's performance, and some of his supporters even spun the event to say that he won the debate by just showing up and scolded Oz for looking cruel in the face of Fetterman's handicap. In my opinion, both his family and Democrat Party are at fault for putting Fetterman in, in this position. He shouldn't be on the ticket, quite frankly. He's... Uh, Disabled, he, he, you know, in the position he's running for, it requires the ability to speak and to negotiate, and uh, he just just should not be on the ticket. I really do uh, fault his family for allowing him to be in that position. While Republican gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon slammed Democrat opponent Gretchen Whitmer and President Joe Biden during Tuesday, Michigan's gubernatorial debate, allowing illegal drugs such as fentanyl to pour across the southern border. We have a massive increase in overdoses. 2021 was the highest number we ever have seen, and we can directly correlate this to the Whitmer and Biden policies of having an open border. We know that drugs are pouring across our border every day. They've seen overdoses rise since the administration took office. It's been devastating, Dixon said. Dixon followed up by saying she would push to increase the number of police officers in the state to counter the fentanyl crisis through her proposed safe state plan that will put approximately $1 billion into policing. If we have more officers in the streets, we can be preventing a lot more overdose deaths, Dixon said. I want to make sure we have the backs of our cops and we invest in our cops and that we make sure that we have what they need to fight this horrible scourge on our country. Overdose deaths have increased Michigan under uh, Whitmer's uh, leadership. Over 107,000 Americans died over overdose death in 2021 during the first year of Biden's administration. 15% increase over the previous year. That was the second debate. The third was New York Governor Kathy Hochul, when challenged on a cash bail uh, reform and refusal to discuss locking up criminals by Representative Lee Zeldin during the Tuesday night debate, he said, uh, she said, why this is so important to you? Well, because people are committing crimes all over New York. That's why. He said, we're halfway through the debate, and she still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes, Eldon said. Uh, uh, Hochul responded, anyone who commits a crime under our laws, especially with the charge we made in this, uh, change we made in this bill on bail, has consequences. I don't know what, why this is so important to you, she said. This comes as Zeldin dramatically narrowed Hochul's lead in the closing days of the race, largely on the back of rising crime levels in New York, with real clear politics rating the gubernatorial race in traditionally deep blue New York as a toss-up, challenging Hochul on New York crime policies, particularly cash bail reform, which often permits those arrested for crimes being back on the streets within hours. Zeldin highlighted the recent wave of violent crimes that have taken place in New York City's subway system. And in Caroline Levitt, there's not much publicity on this one, but <laughs> she's so smart and really capable and young. And she's running against Democrat Chris Pappas up in New Hampshire. 
Uh, she scored a knockout on uh, Pelosi's lapdog, Chris Pappa. So it was really kind of an interesting night. Uh, in my opinion, they, they all uh, tried to use abortion as the big issue and just didn't wash. Uh, I think all, all these candidates, these Democrat candidates, got creamed in the, in the debates. We'll see what the people think. This is, of course, my opinion, and needless to say, I'm biased. But, uh, uh, again, just... Uh, just a big victory last night, in my opinion, for uh, Republican candidates. 39 former staffers and colleagues of Demo Democratic Governor Charlie Crist have announced their support for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. In a letter, they said, This choice of the November could not be more clear. We unanimously endorse Governor Ron DeSantis for re-election. Some of the former staff included those who served under Crist in various of his previous election positions, including being governor of Florida. Other names include Jeff Kotkamp, the former lieutenant governor, Charles Bronson, the former commissioner of agriculture, Ken Pruitt, the former Florida State uh, Senate president. So the letter reads, uh, and it opened like this open letter to Florida, the undersigned represent former colleagues and staff of Charlie Chris. Together we have known Charlie in virtually all phases of his career in public life. We are all well qualified to endorse the Florida governor race because we have significant experience in public service to the state of Florida. The choice of uh, this November could not be more clear. We unanimously endorse Governor Ron DeSantis for re-election. Uh, Governor DeSantis had delivered uh, for Florida. He has led our state with courage and conviction. He has demonstrated his ability to lead through difficult times. We stand with the governor uh, because the stakes are too high. We urge Florida to re-elect Governor Ron DeSantis. So, uh, again, Governor DeSantis just piling up the endorsements and now former colleagues of Chris saying we vote for the governor. It's been a chaotic two days for the Congressional Progressive Caucus. On Monday, the House progressives apparently upset a large base of congressional Democrats with their public letter challenging President Joe Biden's handling of Ukraine and subsequently urging the White House to engage in direct diplomacy with Russia in hopes of ending the ongoing eight-month war between the neighboring countries. And on Tuesday, after enduring public and perhaps private backlash from Democrats and left-leading media, the House progressives have reportedly withdrawn the request to the Biden White House. According to The Hill, the House progressives have been working on their bold political stance since the summer, but waited till the craft of public notice until a sizable number of total Democrats signed on for the call to action. They waited to get about 30 people and released, one anonymous source said. Without going into great detail about the sensitivity of the internal no negotiations, they didn't consider the election timing, and that's true. This is a pretty weird time to release a position like this, and so controversial. By the way, I agree with this position. I think it's a good, uh, good position to take, and uh, why we're involved in this conflict you know, in a place that has nothing to do with us, I just don't know. Another House aide shared a similar account to The Hill, saying the letter to President Biden was originally circulated for signatures, but we aren't sure why it was released now. The memo to Biden featured CPC Chairman uh, Representative uh, Pramila Jayapal from Washington State as the lead signatory. The letter offered initial praise for the Biden White House for supporting Ukraine's self-defense against Russia. Uh, however, the progressives also demanded vigorous diplomatic efforts to support of a negotiated settlement and ceasefire though the direct talk with through direct talks with Russia and that included certain measures for protect to protect a free and independent Ukraine according to the reports 
So uh, it's got everybody upset. They withdrew the letter. Again, I think it's a pretty good position to take. We should be negotiating with Russia and end this, uh, this war. But uh, irrespective, uh, withdrawn. Why? Because it has political overtones, could lead to dissension uh, during uh, the midterm elections. And New York State Supreme Court ruled yesterday that the New York City cannot fire employees for not getting vaccinated against COVID-19, dealing a blow to Democrat Mayor Eric Adams' pandemic policy. The court ordered the city to reinstate all fired employees and grant them back pay, citing the fact that the being vaccinated against COVID-19 does not stop an individual from catching or spreading the virus, and thus being vaccinated does not grant enough community-wide benefit to warrant a mandate. How about that position? I uh, really think that I just congratulate uh, the judge on making that decision. About 1,400 workers were ultimately let go, including a number of firefighters and police officers. Just our way of saying thank you, guys. (laughs) So Adams came under fire for not allowing an exception to the mandate for those workers who, after he granted one to celebrities who are competing in sports or putting on performances in the city. State of emergency also meant to be temporary, the court said. And the uh, question presented is whether the health commissioner has the authority to enact a permanent condition of employment during a state of emergency. And, of course, they ultimately found that the commissioner did not have that right. Many COVID-19 vaccine mandates were put in place based on rationale that the vaccines could drastically reduce the chances of a person becoming infected. But that didn't turn out to be the case. And fortunately, this judge realized that. In the meantime, our president, Biden, uh, got himself vaccinated yesterday, encouraged everybody else to do the same. Boy, talk about being tone deaf. He's just out of step with the American public. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the former chairman of the Cato Institute for 14 years and now senior fellow emeritus in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Bob, tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, cases since the New Deal decided by the Supreme Court that led to the expansion of the federal government. I just want to finish up on the alphabet agencies, and uh, maybe you could tell us about the arguments pro and con about the Supreme Court's decision on Obamacare. Well, it's instructive to look at what Roberts said and then what Scalia said in dissent. Roberts said this, and this is the case about whether exchanges established by the state include exchanges established by the federal government. He said, taken as a whole, the language, contextual meaning, structure, history, and overarching purpose of, of, of Obamacare requires a broad reading of the phrase established by the state. Then he goes on to say the statute is ambiguous, but IRS's interpretation avoids an economic death spiral in insurance markets with federal exchanges. And Congress wanted to improve health insurance markets, not to destroy them. Hmm. That was Robert's majority opinion. Scalia, in dissent, joined by Thomas and Alito. The decision is absurd, feeble, indefensible. Words no longer have meaning. The power to rescue Congress from its drafting errors or to repair laws that do not work out in practice are not free-floating. Bottom line, the court didn't judge in this case. It legislated. Huh. That's not what it's supposed to be doing. Wow. Strong language. Strong language indeed. And justified, I think. 
So, I mean, uh, it's pretty clear that uh, Obamacare, I wonder if, it, if it'll ever be overturned. I doubt it. It's now become <clears throat> so ingrained in the uh, public health policy um, pan, panoply that uh, uh, there's come to be reliance on it. And I think the, the uh, legislature would be very reluctant to overturn it. There would be political consequences to uh, the old saying, when you uh, rob Peter to pay Paul, you generally find great approval by Paul. And yet here we have a nation of 360 million people. And I think Obamacare, if I'm not mistaken, covers about 10 million of them. So it's it's amazing. So, Bob, let's move to a campaign finance reform. Uh, reform. Most uh, Democrats and even a few Republicans seem fixated once again on the um, too much money in politics. Boy, they, and this is uh, right now we're in a record cycle for spending over $9 billion, as I understand it, especially when the money comes from the coast. Reformers still can't get over the Supreme Court's 2010 decision on Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. Can you give us some background on the Citizens United case and how did it come about? Yeah, campaign finance reformers had this quixotic idea that money in elections uh, shouldn't mix. So they passed what was called the McCain-Feingold Law in 2002, and we found out how well that worked. Yeah. Uh, six years later, in the 2008 election, more money was spent in 2008 than any election in the history of the universe. And, of course, that process has just gotten <clears throat> worse and worse. McCain-Feingold uh, ultimately became BICRA, the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, which the Supreme Court addressed and, in my view, inexplicably upheld in a case called McConnell versus FEC in 2003. <clears throat> Political expression, according to the court, should receive less First Amendment protection than like Klan speech or pornography or flag burning. Hmm. You know, I think each of those is, is constitutionally protected. Uh, <clears throat> but if a corporation like Random House, uh, say, decided to publish a book and the book contained the words vote for Obama or vote for Biden or vote against uh, Biden, anywhere in the text, uh, the entire book could be banned under the old version of McCain-Feingold. So, you know, we're not supposed to be about banning books in the U.S., and that's why the court took on this uh, follow-up case called Citizens United. Yeah, it makes sense. So so what uh, did Citizens United say that was so controversial? Well, happily, in, the, in uh, 2010, uh, the court, and this was a 5-4 decision written by Kennedy, overturned McCain-Feingold's two worst restrictions on corporate and union expression. One was, no publication can expressly say, vote for or against an identified candidate if the publication is funded uh, by a corporation or a union. And second, no broadcast ad can even name a candidate within 60 days of a general election hmm. or 30 days of a primary, again, if the ad is funded by corporations or unions. So Citizens United was about uh, Hillary, the movie, which was critical of, of Hillary Clinton. So it was okay to show the movie in theaters. It was okay to sell the movie on DVDs. But you couldn't advertise that the movie was available to be purchased or seen. Mm. And of course, this was ridiculous. And Kennedy correctly recognized that 
corporations and unions do not speak with one voice. I mean, corporations often favor policies that unions oppose. Even within the corporate community, Walmart may favor health care reform, as it did in the case of Obamacare. Whole Foods may oppose it, as it did. So individuals should be free to associate and pool resources to express themselves as they wish, whether it's individually or through a union or a club or a corporation or a partnership. And under the new rules after this Citizens United case, uh, corporations and unions still cannot contribute directly to candidates, but they can, as a result of this case, independently pay for an ad as long as they don't coordinate the ad with the candidate or the candidate's party. And the ad can be broadcast without restriction. That's a good thing. Citizens United was a good opinion, despite the fact that it's vilified by the left. So, Bob, if the issues are so clear, why did it take the Supreme Court eight years to revisit McCain-Feingold? Well, I think the court was unable or, or maybe unwilling to grasp the notion that politics, you know, is, is essentially, it's a bargain between the candidate and the voter. When the candidate promises to pursue an uh, agenda that a voter, a voter favors, it, it shouldn't matter constitutionally whether the voter's return promise is, uh, I'll vote for you, or I'll convince my friends to vote for you, or I'll write letters to the editor in support of your candidacy, or I'll even pay for an ad that supports your candidacy. I'm, I might even donate money to you so you can pay for your own ad. None of that should matter, nor should it matter if the candidate's end of the bargain includes a commitment to meet with the voter mm-hmm. and listen to his views, or to put it crassly, uh, to give the voter access and influence. Each of those acts has the same end, and that is getting the candidate elected. And each of those acts operates through the same means, and that is political speech. And this exchange that goes on all the time, speech in return for promises by the candidate, if he's elected, that's not corruption. That's democracy at work. We want more of it, not less. So well said. Bob Levy, again, chairman, or former chairman of the Cato Institute, now uh, a constitutional uh, scholar emeritus at the Cato Institute. Bob, I just genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Andy, we usually start our interviews with some good news. Maybe do you have any good news for us? Well, of course, it's uh, sometimes strained to find that good news, but I think today we have some. Uh, first of all, in New York State, the Supreme Court of New York State reinstated <clears throat> excuse me, all employees who were fired for being unvaccinated and then ordered back pay. I think that is a, a very positive sign the courts are identifying that. I think something that's being left unsaid, and I think it has to be, uh, to be made more front and center, is the fact that we don't have, in reality, by all measurements, Bob, a vaccine. What we have is a therapeutic. Uh, vaccines are to be our uh, things that produce antibodies, that produce immunity. Uh, we have nothing of that sort at this point, Bob. So, yeah, what we're calling vaccines are really therapeutics. So even the action to uh, to fire these people for failure to take a vaccine is by its nature uh, inherently inappropriate. But getting back to the main point, I'm glad to see the Supreme Court's uh, beginning to understand not take these kind of, of draconian actions against people for those failures. I hope the federal government will pick up the same the same message, Bob. Absolutely. I, I just really salute uh, the judge in this case for being so well informed when it comes to the vaccines. You know, I think I, I concern. I, I get concerned that sometimes uh, things are happening so quickly and developments are occurring so quickly that uh, judges aren't necessarily informed about the latest. And you know, yesterday, in juxtaposition to that decision, uh, President Biden got got another uh, uh, vaccine shot, another jab, and suggested that everybody. <laughs> It just... yeah, it's, it's a very difficult situation. Well, my school, the one I teach, has, has always, uh, well, since it came into being, has required us to be vaccinated and to get the boosters. I, I don't know what I would do if there was a, another booster that was required by my school. I 
my age and in the circumstances uh, being what they are around these boosters, whether I think it's an appropriate health issue for me to uh, to get uh, to to yield to, Bob. So I, I don't know what I would do in that circumstance. And right. I know there are perhaps even millions of people exactly that same situation. Yep. They are terrified of losing their jobs if they refuse uh, to take in a booster uh, that is perhaps a long-term health problem. Well, and then back to your point, though, this is really good news that the court made this decision. Hopefully, the rest of the country and other uh, judges will follow suit. Well, I think the, the, this is one of the, the benefits of federalism. You know, we can see these issues happening at the state level. Uh, one can only hope that the federal government uh, somehow finds the wisdom that is being found in some states, even even essentially a blue state like New York, as, as we're pointing out, Bob. So... I become optimistic as a derivative of these type of things happening. Um, th there are several debates that took place recently that I think are worth noting, and uh, they're going to be in the good news category. Uh, Zeldin and Hochul debated, and uh, I think she uh, demonstrated her lack of understanding of the issues when she uh, inquired as to why Zeldin was so concerned about release uh, without bail, and uh, her general issues on position on crime were were absolutely, say, disturbing in terms of their implication. Now, Zeldin hasn't quite uh, caught up with her, but I think he's closed the gap to, I've seen in some polls where it's four to five points, uh, and that is a trending process for Zeldin. So I think that if Zeldin, this would be another very good sign for, uh, not for the Republicans, because that's not the issue in my mind, a good sign for America if a uh, a red, uh, a blue state like, like New York uh, could elect a governor like Zeldin over uh, a, uh, a, a figure in the office such as, as Hochul. Uh, in addition to that, uh, that debate, which I think was uh, in favor of Zeldin, we had the obvious win of, of, of Oz over Fetterman in, yep. uh, in Pennsylvania. Now, look, I think all of us as human beings have a, have a certain degree of compassion for Fetterman. I mean, he's, he's obviously suffering through some uh, essential problems, uh, whether they're a derivative of his stroke or just essential characteristics of his, of his, of his intellect. I, I don't know that. Obviously, there's some impact of the, uh, of the, uh, of the stroke. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we can't let that compassion for a disabled man uh, create a circumstance where America will be damaged by the Republicans losing the Senate in 2022. So, but again, a strong debate performance by Oz uh, and a, uh, a typical, as a matter of fact, Fetterman's, uh, deba Fetterman's debate was not just the one that was anticipated, but even by his supporters, mm -hmm. it was uh, it was beyond that in terms of its uh, if its inappropriate uh, comments and, and actions uh, that he was stating. So uh, a strong win for for Oz in that Fetterman debate, and I think an important debate uh, for the for the United States in terms of the Senate outcome, Bob. Well, I think it is important that voters actually get to see and an actually uh, juxtaposition of the candidates. And in Fetterman, I, it was painful to watch, according to some. I mean, it was uh, it just, uh, quite frankly, I think it's just a shame that his family and the Democrat Party put him in a position like that. I, th I found it, you know, it really was humiliating, quite frankly. And Hochul, by the way, I think she got creamed uh, by uh, her opponent. Yeah, I think she, again, in juxtaposition, you see these two people, and he was just all over her on everything from uh, bail to... Uh, education, you name it, he just did a great job. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't find Zeldin a particularly impressive candidate, but that's that's neither here nor there, my impression. But uh, but Zeldin, I think, is, in fact, uh, certainly looking good. He knows the issues. He's able to articulate the issues. Uh, and I become increasingly um, discouraged by looking uh, at some of the people that are in leadership roles in America or pretending to be in leadership roles, such as Hochul, such as, as Fetterman. If, even if we go to uh, Michigan, uh, where I think Dixon looked very good, in yep. her debate with with Whitmer, uh, but Whitmer you know, just is, is offers nothing in terms of of, of meaningful leadership in the in one, in one of the great states of America, Michigan. Uh, so it becomes very discouraging when I see some of these people that are front and center in their in their major roles in the American political process, Bob. And all these candidates, of course, falling back on abortion. Hey, what about abortion? And quite frankly, this is not a, a key issue for for voters right now because of what's happening with inflation crime and so forth. By, by the way, there's another uh, debate that occurred last night. Caroline Levitt up in New Hampshire uh, debated her uh, her opponent, and she just creamed, <laughs> creamed her opponent. She did a fantastic job. So, you know, the, the candidates, uh, by and large, from the Republican Party did a terrific job last night. I think really moved the needle forward when it comes to uh, winning the election. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that is true. I, I didn't uh, pick up on that uh, that debate, but yes, I think that in any debate, in any fair debate, at least one that's not moderated by uh, by leftist moderators, uh, I think that the Republicans are going to look good. Not because they're Republicans, certainly, because that is not my my focus. I'm not uh, actually political in that sense, uh -huh. uh, but because the issues are so much being uh, being uh, taken by by the Republican Party at this point, and and the Democrats really have nothing to offer. Um, I, I, let, let me just sort of add to that at this point. It's sort of a uh, rejection of what I just said. For the, probably for the first time, I find myself in, uh, in general agreement with a position taken by a, a group on the progressive left, on the far progressive left. This is a group that has, in fact, authored a position papers that was sent to Biden uh, in terms of Ukraine. Yeah. And, uh, of course, they're being excoriated for having done this. Now, what is the, uh, what is the reason for that excoriation? The reason is that they, they advocate essentially uh, for a diplomatic solution in Ukraine. They talk about ensuring the, uh, the security of Ukraine. They talk about recognizing the sovereignty of Ukraine and respecting the positions of all parties and moving towards a diplomatic solution at this point, uh, one that may forestall the potential, even the vague potential of a nuclear exchange. Uh, and I find myself supporting that position. Yeah. Uh, and I think many, many people actually do support that position, Bob. Well, I totally agree with that. In fact, I mentioned earlier in the show that uh, this letter came out and it was, they were excoriated for releasing the letter. I, I have to admit, though, the timing of the release of the letter is pretty questionable. <laughs> <laughs> just before the elections. Things are difficult enough for the Democrats. I'm sure there, there's a lot of internal dissension about all that. Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and also building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely a centerpiece. You can find out by visiting the website, more by visiting the website and getting tickets at golfshoreplayhouse.org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Uh, any more about the elections uh, coming up and uh, uh, your thoughts? I think there's there's one issue that has not been given the uh, the attention that it deserves. Uh, Joe Biden has issued uh, Executive Order one four zero one nine one four zero one nine. Um, and many attempts have been made to penetrate that uh, with no success whatsoever, which makes it very, very worrisome to me that there's no transparency. What what that order does, it demands that the 600 federal agencies must consider ways to expand citizens' opportunities to vote. Now, that sounds perhaps benign on the surface, but without any specifics to it, we have no idea how that might be implemented. Where will they focus these opportunities? Will they try to prompt uh, Democrat groups more so than Republicans' uh, groups? Will they begin registering uh, non-citizens? Uh, will they try to push for uh, voter ID being optional? There's a whole variety of suggestions that can be made about what this executive order 
order 14019 might contain. And as, as many times uh, as this has tried to be penetrated, there is absolutely no transparency about what is happening now as a result of it. In other words, we're not talking about something that is going to lie into the future. We're talking about something that is going on exactly at this point, Bob. Well, and just the, the very premise of the executive order is wrong. It's illegal. In other words, uh, these are the, these elections are run by the states and the state legislatures. Why is the federal government getting itself involved? Well, I mean, that's a consistent problem, which ex expands even to uh, to the abortion issue. Obviously, that was the essence of the rejection of, of, of Roe Wade, uh, the government's inappropriate intrusion. The, the government has been allocated very specific powers, uh, and certainly they violated that consistently uh, with very little pushback from either party, I might add. So mm -hmm. uh, this has been an allowance given to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the federal government. In terms of executive orders, they've always been of concern to to me when they're not reversible. Uh, in many cases, they're defended by saying, well, one president's executive order can be uh, re, uh, reversed by the next president. Uh, sometimes that's just not true. If they allow in more immigrants, uh, you can't undo that. Uh, if they have a federal debt relief uh, for, for, for student loans. And by the way, that's a, a very interesting part of what Biden has done. Uh, he has um, uh, alleviated approximately $500 billion uh, in student loan debt. Right. Uh, in a recent presentation, he indicated uh, to a, uh, an audience that apparently is totally ill-informed that he that passed by only one or two votes. <laughs> it never passed anyone, Bob. It never had any legislative approval whatsoever. So here you have an executive order, essentially from the president, that is an expenditure, a critical expenditure to the federal government of $500 billion that has absolutely no legislative support, and he tries to pan it off as one that got through, uh, albeit with only uh, one or two vote a majority, where there was no vote whatsoever, Bob. Well, you know, Andy, my comment on that is he's doing everything in his power to buy the votes and, and uh, garner support for the Democrat Party right now, but it's just not working. And uh, he's, you know, in my opinion, an illegitimate president. Anyhow, he didn't win the election, and we know that it was cheating, and I believe to the degree that uh, that the election was, uh, was, was a false result. And uh, now he's, I think he's going to get creamed in the midterm elections. Well, I mean, by all indications, that's true. Even the White House think tank on the midterms has, uh, has uh, somewhat conceded, that's probably too strong a word, that the, the House is lost to the, to the Republicans. Uh, they also indicate there's a significant chance that the, the Senate will also be lost to the Republicans. And that's, that's coming from the, the political think tank at the White House itself. So those are probably the strongest indicators that there's, uh, there's a real good chance that both of those things happening. I hope that's true. Uh, the thing that concerns me is always what the Democrats are saying about the Republicans. Uh, Hillary Clinton just yesterday or the day before yesterday uh, came out with some remarks where she was uh, stating that the Republicans are planning to steal the 2022 elections and she's predicting the 2024 yeah. elections. Anytime you hear a Democrat predicting what the Republicans are going to do, you know that that's something they are planning to do, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. And well, to, to me, and again, this is just me, but uh, when I hear her speak and say these things, they, they lack any kind of credibility whatsoever. She is such a farce. 
And uh, the one phrase that comes to mind when I hear her talk is, lock her up, lock her up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we we have these people that have been well-documented in terms of their corruption, in terms of their, uh, just if we just talk about their errors of position, forget about corruption, but that's part of it. Uh, And we have Hillary Clinton, uh, my goodness, who has essentially not been been right about anything. She's a woman that at a time in the uh, Secretary of State was able to send out 30,000 emails about her daughter's wedding and her yoga training. Now, that would indicate to me that's 50 emails a day she would have had to send on those topics if that were the topics in fact. So you you have a woman that's been deeply involved with multiple levels of corruption uh, since her her, uh, coming into uh, the public spotlight, that even when she was uh, just the first lady and certainly as as Secretary of State. So, but she still remains a uh, a voice that the, uh, the the Democrats are willing to put out there as if as if she is significant, as if she has something to offer. Bob, well, do you th- uh, do you think she's going to be a candidate for president in 2024? I think she thinks she may be, yeah. and I think there's a good chance. I mean, there was a. Uh, a recent statement by a, a group, a Democrat uh, opposition research group, that has targeted 21 Republicans that they're following uh, because of their potential to be Republican presidential nominees uh, in 2024. 21. Now, uh, some of them are the most obvious. The one topping the list is is, uh, is obviously um, uh, President Trump, followed by DeSantis, then Cruz, and so forth. But also on that list are people like uh, like Liz Cheney. So it's it's a it's a very very extended list. The only point I'm making with that list of 21 potential candidates uh, for the Republicans is I don't think anything that could correspond to that can be created for the Democrats. I can think of no real viable presidential candidate that exists right now for the Democrat Party going into the 2024 presidential elections, Bob. Yeah, yeah that's a great point, Andy. And we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence is one of only 97 restaurants worldwide to receive Wine Spectator's prestigious Grand Award, and they've received it for the eighth consecutive year. Blue Provence Restaurant is temporarily closed for renovations due to damage from Hurricane Ian, and they look forward to serving you again in the near future. In the meantime, you can enjoy their Grand Award-winning wine list with unbeatable prices on more than 2,500 wines by visiting Blue Provence Fine Wines at 1234 8th Street South, Monday through Saturday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Check out the vast wine selection by visiting Blue Provence on Facebook or visit the easy-to-browse website blueprovencefinewines.com. Visit blueprovencefinewines.com or if you need help, you can call Jacques directly at 239-821-6772. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Bob Harden. Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be here. You know, uh, critical race theory has become such an important topic right now. It's, it's got the parents riled up. It's got this Justice Department declaring that they're uh, these uh, parents are domestic terrorists. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, okay, let me talk about that, uh, the CRT issue, and then. but I do want to get back, if we have time, to uh, a sub-point about the elections, okay? And, sure. Uh, if not, we'll get to it next week. But <clears throat> critical race theory, um, recently there was a uh, an article in a, a nationwide newspaper chain uh, that was published that uh, indicated essentially uh, that CRT is this rather benign circumstance. It was it was penned by, by two far-left progressives, Edward Renner and Lasagna Moore, uh, both very, very deeply involved with, with leftist issues. But basically their, their case for CRT is one that CRT is just trying to undo some of the, some of the problems in our society that, that need fixing, and that's all CRT is about. Now, that is a, a, the most benign look you can possibly take at, at critical race theory. Uh, what they are doing, and let me get in some, into some of my academic work. In, uh, when I teach organizational behavior, we talk about the difference between a condition and an event. A condition is a basic characteristic. An event is an occurrence, perhaps one time, but it's an occurrence. What the left has tried to do with CRT is make uh, any event a one-time occurrence seem like it's a condition, a basic attribute. In other words, if there's any measured active racism, it indicates systemic racism. If there's any problem with economic outcome for any minority group, it indicates a systemic problem uh, with that being caused by, by bigotry on, uh, from the right. Uh, so what the left has tried to do consistently with, with CRT is turn events into conditions. And, but it's far more than that. What they have done in reality is create a whole uh, attack on the white race, which is just uh, totally outrageous uh, in America when race is uh, uh, an issue that should not be discussed in terms of, uh, of identifying anyone's characteristic. CRD, CRT changes that focus, makes white fragility a, a major issue, the, the problems with being white, the inherent uh, problems with uh, white bigotry, not specifically, not as individuals, but as a race. That 
particular definition, which is being taught in the public schools in many cases, regardless of what they call it, is extremely damaging to uh, to this country. Uh, and I think we have to get it eliminated. And I know there's, there's pressure in that direction, uh, but I think there's enough uh, expression of CRT in the public schools that it is having impact, not only in America, by the way, but actually worldwide as a concept. That's so interesting, Andy. I really appreciate that that uh, point of view. It also occurs to me that perhaps the opposite is true. In other words, the Democrat Party is also trying to take uh, a uh, a process, for example, the lack of law and order or bail, whatever it might be, and turn it into events. Oh, why are you so concerned about that? It just happened at the, you know, in the subway. In other words, uh, it works both ways. Well, it, it does. I mean, and it's, it's a very difficult situation uh, when you uh, it's a it's a matter of uh, statistical norming in, in most cases. In other words, any circumstance where a minority is uh, is either overrepresented, such as in in arrest for crime, or underrepresented, for example, in terms of CEO position, every one of those is being uh, interpreted as a condition of a systemic process. Uh, and certainly, in a nation of 335 million people, you're going to have every single day, Bob, something that could be. Right. Uh, put into those categories so it's very difficult to escape from this from this situation especially when there's so much uh, cowardice that is uh, in place because of the cancel culture everybody's afraid or many people at least bob are afraid of speaking out against this this is particularly true in the in, in the woke capitalist world that we're seeing uh, evolve right now uh, i think corporations were perhaps the last institution of america that seemed to be removed from the possibility of being woke. Uh, but now they are certainly deeply immersed in this, this woke capitalism, and uh, there's a real fear that exists in the, in the corporate world to push back against any of these things. Bob. Well, of course, CRT is simply a portion and a part, part and parcel of the indoctrination of our young people right now uh, towards Marxism, to, to uh, try and uh, change our history, change our culture, and uh, to lead us towards uh, now, they're saying that the the uh, these elections will de- destroy democracy. In fact, that's exactly what they're all about: is destroying democracy uh, by stealing elections and the things that the, and the dirty tricks they're playing. So. It, it, I, I think what you just said is vastly uh, underappreciated in America, Bob. The fact that uh, the Democrats are are are, are really creating a, uh, a seriously damaged culture uh, right now, certainly, but uh, into the future. Uh, in terms of uh, what comes out of our public schools, we can see their uh, their general uh, academic acumen is being diminished. But what they are learning is is horrible. Uh, I saw just a video uh, yesterday with a, a comedian at a college that was being rejected by the student population. I think it was University of Pennsylvania. And there's a young student, a woman, she must be 18, 19, maybe 20, with this hideous look of, 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 of hate on her face, and she spits on him. I, I just am amazed at the lack at the, the lack of decorum that is being uh, demonstrated uh, by, by the young people in America, not certainly across the board, but too frequently to be ignored, Bob. Ignored exa- by, by also the leaders of the school. I mean, the chancellor, the president should absolutely expel that student for that kind of behavior. But do you know what? It's going to be ignored. She, she could have at least said, 
this is unacceptable to spit on a person. I mean, that, that simple statement would have been, you know, it wouldn't have been rejecting her ideology or her position. It could have just said that that particular aspect should uh, should not be condoned. And yet she was not even willing to do that uh, because she's terrified of losing her million uh, her million two hundred thousand dollar a year job. Now, why, in fact, the president of a college makes that kind of money is just is mind boggling to me. But that's that's the money these people are raking in. Whole different discussion. We should take that up sometime, Andy. <laughs> Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Off topic for today's discussion, but I really recommend uh, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to next week, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and uh, I hope you appreciated the information as well. I encourage you to take a listen tomorrow. We're going to visit with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the president of Les Government, and uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. I always appreciate his commentary here on the show as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers, and we just couldn't do the show without their support. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.